a lot of the narcotic medications that used to be prescribed and or still prescribed, patients don't actually use. And then it will go in the medicine cabinet and the patient may forget about it. And he or she may have a child or somebody come over, look in the medicine cabinet and see that narcotic. And that may be their first exposure to narcotic and eventual abuse. (laughs) That's usually how the story goes. In the midst of a global pandemic, there has been an ongoing epidemic in the U.S. Opioid use, abuse, and overdoses. According to the CDC, opioids were involved in more than 75,000 deaths in this country in 2021, an increase of nearly 34% from the year before. Dr. Kirk Campbell is an associate professor in the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at NYU Langone Health. One reason he and other orthopedic doctors prescribe these powerful narcotics is because they work really well to reduce pain but they also increase the risk of a lot of other problems for the patient who has prescribed the opioids and for anyone who lives with them. I want to try and do my part to hopefully prevent somebody's sister, brother, son from becoming addicted to the narcotics that I may have personally prescribed for something else. From SiriusXM and NYU Langone Health, this is Vital Signs, where medicine is made personal. I'm your host, Rose Reed. I had one objective and one objective only. That was to become an orthopedic surgeon uh, specializing in sports medicine. Dr. Kirk Campbell grew up on the island of Jamaica in a town not far from Kingston called Old Harbor. He lived there with his brother and his mom, who never finished high school. When he was four years old, she moved to the Bahamas for a new job. She had to leave my brother and I with one of her best friends because we didn't really have any other family in Jamaica. So although that was quite difficult for her, that was really a pivotal moment for me, just seeing the dedication she had to her family to leave for a better job in order to provide us with support. She'd come back frequently. At age seven, I told her I wanted to do one of two things in life. One... I wanted to be a physician because I really enjoyed helping people. And two, at the time I had an infatuation with the military. I told I wanted to join the military, but you know, only one of two came true. (laughs) My parents spoke uh, just from an educational opportunity standpoint. Uh, They thought it would be a better educational opportunity if I moved to live with my father. His dad lived in the U.S. in Springfield, Massachusetts, and Dr. Campbell moved there when he was nine years old. Every chance I got, I wanted to see something medical. Somebody was injured. I wanted to know how I could help to make them better. Although I didn't have the knowledge or skills, I was still very into trying to help people. Moving from Old Arbor, Jamaica, to Springfield was a very, very enormously large culture shock for me. 
I moved in the fall. It started snowing shortly thereafter. <laughs> and for me, it was a big culture shock. I left everything I knew. All my friends, my brother, who I had grown really attached to, he remained in Jamaica. As Dr. Campbell adjusted to his new life in Massachusetts, he struggled to fit in. And then, for the first of many times in his life, he found solace in sports. I'm approximately 6'4", and when I first moved, I was not tall at all. But a summer or two after, I hit a growth spurt, and being tall has its benefits. I got exposed to basketball, and it ended up being something I absolutely loved. I made some of my nearest and dearest friends through basketball. Just the concept of teamwork, dedication to things that we were able to achieve. I played on a travel team. During that time, I was able to see different parts of the country, meet different people. So sports really kind of guided my cultural introduction to the U.S. and made my transition quite smooth. My parents ended up using basketball as a way to really motivate me. You know, if schoolwork, homework was not completed, if grades were not maintained, then there was no basketball. So that really drove me to excel in school because, you know, basketball was really my love and still is. So I had to make sure that I maintained grades. And just growing up, my mother, that's the one thing that she always instilled with me was the importance of education. And I think that may be a result from the fact that her education was interrupted. So she thought it was extremely important for us to get an excellent education. He loved school, and like basketball, he was good at it. As he got older, Dr. Campbell never wavered on becoming a doctor. But it was in high school that he realized just what kind of doctor he wanted to be. At age seven, I told my mother I wanted to be a pediatrician because I love children. In high school, I played varsity basketball. You know, I had a few bumps and bruises, uh, injuries along the way. I remember it quite well. I saw a sports medicine physician, and our interaction was phenomenal. I was hooked. I could not believe that people actually got paid to do sports medicine. Actually, I still can't believe I'm compensated uh, to do sports medicine because it's something I thoroughly enjoy. From that point forward, I had one objective and one objective only. That was to become an orthopedic surgeon uh, specializing in sports medicine. Of course, during medical school, I explored other fields to really reaffirm my desire to do orthopedics and sports medicine, but nothing ever came close to it. Most people don't end up doing what they dream of as a child. If that was the case, there would be way more astronauts and firefighters out there. But Dr. Kirk Campbell made it happen. He attended medical school at NYU Grossman School of Medicine, went on to specialize in orthopedics and sports medicine, and has worked with all kinds of athletes at every level, including the Chicago Bulls and Chicago White Sox, helping them prevent and manage injuries. And at the buzzer, Michael Jordan has won it for Chicago. 
I think the fact that a lot of my colleagues, myself included, were athletes ourselves or are avid sports fans really impacts the care that we provide to our patients. We understand what it's like being unable to be out there with your teammates. We understand the rigors of rehabbing from an injury, and we understand overall impact it has on your life being unable to, you know, if you're a runner, getting out there and just going for a run. It's difficult. It affects the rest of your life. You know, it affects your social interactions. It affects you from a psychological standpoint. So being former athletes, I think, gives us a unique perspective to understand and provide really outstanding care for our patients. His expertise, training, and history as an athlete are all essential tools for Dr. Campbell. As he takes care of patients, he also draws on other experiences. Diversity and inclusion is something that I'm quite passionate about within medicine itself. Unfortunately, the physician workforce is not representative of the patients that we see. You know, a lot of studies showing that patients have sometimes better outcomes when they're cared for by people who may look similar or have similar backgrounds or cultural similarities. There may be little subtleties that someone else may not pick up on. So I think it's important to really promote diversity and equity within medicine. Whether it may be a cultural similarity or racial or something else they have in common, I think patients overall are more likely to follow through on the treatment plan when they're invested and feel that the provider is invested in their care. Unfortunately, it's not very common to have an African-American orthopedic surgeon. Just yesterday in the office, I had a patient who said he specifically came to see me because he was shocked that there was a African-American orthopedic surgeon. So he specifically looked out for that. Uh, he said, you know, he wanted care at NYU Langone Orthopedics, and he specifically came to see me because he's never seen an African-American orthopedic surgeon. I have had interactions with patients who, I don't know, I guess they didn't look online uh, to see what I look like. You know, I'll walk in and say, hi, I'm Dr. Campbell. Like, oh, you're Dr. Campbell. I'm like, pretty sure I am Dr. Campbell. <laughs> You know, I, I, you know, I think, you know, they'll see a tall African-American guy walk in with a name like Kirk Campbell, which I guess classically may not be associated with a tall African-American gentleman, and they may be taken aback. You know, more of a young Denzel slash Sydney. I'm joking. Less than 2% of orthopedic physicians are African-American. It's not a problem that's unique to one field. Just 5.4% of all physicians are African-American, according to the latest data from 2018. And this sort of representation matters. We need more female physicians within medicine, especially within orthopedics. 
not a lot of African-American or Hispanic orthopedic surgeons either. So when I say diversity and equity, I mean in really the true sense of the word, different cultural backgrounds, gender, gender identity, all of these things are important because patients want that and our overall healthcare system really benefits from a diversity of ideas and backgrounds. At least 91 Americans die every day from an opioid overdose. Drug overdoses now kill more people than guns or car accidents. 19 times this year, they've had to respond to calls for children with opioids in their system. Nationally, there were 81,000 drug overdose deaths from May 2019 to May 2020, the highest number of overdose deaths ever recorded in a 12-month period, according to the CDC. Orthopedic surgeons are among the most likely physicians to prescribe opioids, and for good reason. Unfortunately, orthopedic injuries hurt. Surgery, unfortunately, also hurts. And that's something that I personally discuss with my patients is that we will do an outstanding job of managing your pain, but you're not going to have zero pain. You are going to be uncomfortable. It's okay to be uncomfortable. You should not be in extreme pain, but it's okay to be uncomfortable. One of the more critical elements of managing patients' pain is also managing their expectations. I think it's important for not just orthopedic surgeons, but I think physicians in general to have these potentially uncomfortable conversations with patients about pain management and the role of prescription narcotic medications and the opioid epidemic we're currently facing. Having expectation of zero pain, I do not think is a reasonable expectation. So it should make it clear that you may be uncomfortable. We will do everything in our power to make sure you're as comfortable as possible with limited narcotic medication, if indicated, is an important conversation. We have to be really good stewards of these uh, medications. I think, by and large, the vast majority of physicians and my orthopedic colleagues, uh, these are conversations that we're having with our patients. A lot of the narcotic medications that used to be prescribed and or are still prescribed, patients don't actually use. And then it will go in the medicine cabinet and the patient may forget about it, and he or she may have a child or somebody come over, look in the medicine cabinet and see that narcotic, and that may be their first exposure to narcotic and eventual abuse. That's usually how the story goes. I want to try and do my part to hopefully prevent somebody's sister, brother, son from becoming addicted to the narcotics that I may have personally prescribed for something else. Stopping opioid abuse before it starts is crucial. By limiting prescriptions, avoiding refills, and pursuing alternate pain management approaches, physicians like Dr. Campbell can help reduce opioid addiction and related deaths. And his research in this area has only reinforced the benefits of this approach. We're able to take a deep dive into post-operative pain control. We've adopted a multimodal pain management strategy. We're utilizing cold therapy with ice. We're utilizing anti-inflammatories, uh, you know, regular Tylenol, and very limited narcotic medications. 
we're able to definitively show that patients do not require significant amount of narcotic medications for a lot of procedures that we perform. And more importantly, patients' overall satisfaction with their care and overall satisfaction with the pain management was similar. There's no difference. And that's kind of the experience I had in the office, which really led us to embark on this mission to be better stewards of the narcotic medications that a lot of people really and truly do not need. Don't get us wrong, there is acute post-surgical pain, and that's something that we take very, very seriously. And we address, but we're able to show that utilizing a multimodal pain management strategy works and I think it's better for patients. Pain can be unpredictable, even when we know it's coming. With orthopedic surgery, we know there's going to be pain. We just don't know how much or what exactly it will feel like or how long it will last. This unpredictability can be as much of a problem as the pain itself. One of the studies I did we asked patients why they used the narcotic medication. And the most common responses we got were, number one, they were afraid that they may be in pain, so they were not actually in pain. And number two, a family member encouraged them to use it rather than actual pain. That was a pretty powerful thing for us. Patients are not actually in pain. It's more of the fear of being in pain and or a family member being afraid that they may be in pain. I think it's important for us to be at the forefront of really managing expectations and managing post-operative pain appropriately. Dr. Kirk Campbell has already come a long way in his career. He has traversed countries and cultures and turned a passion for playing sports into a career caring for athletes. He's worked as a physician for major professional sports teams, and his opioid reduction research is sparing patients and their families additional suffering and pain. So I still pinch myself from time to time because I am literally living my dream. I went from extremely humble beginnings in a small island nation. Mine is a story of hard work, dedication, understanding and appreciating the importance of having a good education and really embracing, seeking good mentors. And then on the back end, as you move through different levels of life, make sure you also reach back to mentor those who are coming behind you because that's the only way that you're able to change the face of medicine. I try to treat everybody with the golden rule, right? Uh, Do unto others as you like others to do unto you. And I think as long as you go into every interaction with this mutual respect for the patients, their beliefs, and your colleagues and their beliefs. I think that commonality will lead to positive interactions. I've had nothing but fantastic experiences here. You know, at uh, NYU, I've had phenomenal mentors. I've had great patients I've been able to participate in their care. Listen, I'm pretty lucky.
Vital Signs is a co-production of NYU Langone Health and Sirius XM. The podcast is produced by Jim Bilodeau, Julie Canfer, and Keith King, with sound design by Jim Bilodeau and writing from Julie Canfer. Sirius XM's executive producer is Beth Amin, in partnership with Allison Clare and Jim Mandler of NYU Langone Health. Don't miss a single episode of Vital Signs and subscribe for free wherever you listen to podcasts. To hear more from the world-renowned doctors at NYU Langone Health, tune to Doctor Radio on Sirius XM Channel 110 or listen anytime on the SXM app. To get in touch with our production team, email vitalsigns at SiriusXM.com. For the Vital Signs Podcast, I'm Rose Reed. Join us next time as we bring you the stories of medicine made personal. Mm-hmm.